well, I do want to just kind of do a brief introduction to our series here tonight, uh, which I think on one hand, uh, it's one of those situations where we're preaching to the choir a little bit. I think we're a a biblically literate, well-informed, Bible-saturated group of believers, and for for that I'm very thankful. And as Pastor Tim uh, mentioned this morning, uh, back in the early 2000s, he did a series on worship, which... uh, I think, did a great job of, of molding and making us into uh, the church that we are in the way that we desire to honor God. And, and one of the most important things that stood out to me was the fact that in the midst of that worship war that he kind of mentioned, he reminded us that worship is about much more than simply singing. It's about the, the most worshipful acts that he pulled out uh, from Scripture it had nothing to do with singing any one of them. Um, and, and so we're going to see tonight, we're going to begin to set our hearts toward worship and to look at that uh, again. Uh, and I believe, and we believe as the leadership team, that, that worship is still an important topic for us uh, to look at. So there's a couple things that I really just want to lay out here tonight uh, that I hope will serve us well throughout this series. Uh, I, I hope this series helps our church, but it'll only do that if we are open as a church to hearing what God's Word has to say about these topics that we're going to be studying. And I'm going to briefly mention what those are. We need to be open to change as a church, as uh, both Pastor Ron and, and Jim prayed, that when we hear God's Word, we need to respond to what it says not what we think, not what our preferences are. Uh, And that means that we need to be open to change as individuals. What God's word says is what we should apply to uh, our lives. But we also want a series like this to help us to discuss things together. It's important that we as, as a body of believers interact graciously about these things. Worship is important to who we are as believers and what we do. And so we should be able to discuss these things graciously. And ultimately, we need to remember who is in charge throughout this series. It's not my preferences. It's not your preferences. We're going to look to God and see what his word has to say about worship. And we're going to let that inform what we believe as a church body and how we will act and respond accordingly uh, to what God has to say. So uh, just in case you didn't catch it this morning, this is the gospel-shaped church series. There's, there's several different parts to this, and it's put out by the Gospel Coalition, uh, but we're going to be doing this series that's on worship, I, and uh, there's going to be the video clips that go along with it that some of us will use uh, at times, uh, but the author of this uh, series is Jared Wilson, he, and he writes uh, a lot of blogs, and he's got 10 books that are out there. He, 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 he desires to see God's church built up in this area uh, of worship, and I believe that, that we will uh, do well to, to be here for this series and to study God's Word together. It's going to be broken down into seven sessions. Tonight we're going to be looking at what is worship, uh, the basic fundamental question uh, that we're going to address tonight. In the next two weeks, uh, we're going to address something that I'll touch on just briefly tonight, the foundation of worship uh, with John Leaf and Worship in God's Word by Kent Schaefer. Uh, they're going to pick up on those themes, um, but we're also going to kind of, they'll, they'll expound on them a lot more uh, in the coming weeks. And then we're going to have Pastor Mike leading us 
uh, in what is the worship service. And we're going to look at some of the different specific elements of the worship service and, and how, all of that, um, how all of that displays our worship uh, of our God. And we're going to look at how and why we pray. We're going to look at gospel-shaped prayer, and Mike Knaus is going to uh, lead that evening and then Craig Simmons is going to uh, discuss, with us, discuss, with us, discuss with us developing a culture of grace. We've been given God's grace, and so we as Christians should respond to one another and to the world around us with grace. And then Pastor Ron is going to wrap the series up for us by uh, discussing how we love one another as brothers and sisters in Christ and how that's a commitment that we need to make to one another and how even that is an act of worship. Even as Pastor Tim mentioned this morning, the diversity of the body of Christ, it, it shows the supernatural ability of God in his gospel to bring people together. And that uh, is what makes it unique. One other quick word of introduction before I show our first video clip tonight. Uh, Many of the weeks, there's going to be uh, included in the videos, uh, if the speakers choose to use them, little vignettes, skits, that just are try, to, they try to spur us on to think about what is worship. And so the first one that I'm going to show tonight just shows them asking Christians on the way out of church, what is worship? And it's amazing the, the, the diversity of the answers uh, that they receive. Uh, and then they'll go into a little bit of a skit that uh, kind of helps us and spurs us on to think about uh, the way that we oftentimes inappropriately and wrongly talk about worship. So we'll have them cue that video up at this point. Church, music, putting Jesus first, just before, before anything else. Special. Church, hymns, praise, prayer. Going to church. Uh, worship, uh, I think of um, uh, singing together as a, as a congregation, as a body. Um, I also think of the idea of, uh, of exalting God. Um, Making him, making him uh, high and great. Um, I think I, I think about heaven um, when I think about worship. Singing. Uh, praise. Glorify. Joy. Marty and Susan are a young couple new to their town and have begun visiting churches in the area in search of a community of faith to call home. After each Sunday morning visit, as they drive to lunch, they discuss their feelings. How friendly and welcoming was the church? What was the atmosphere like? What did they think about the facilities in the building? And then they turn to the elements of the gathering. Oh. Hey, I really like that church had hymnals with the music in it, so we could follow along if I, you know, get lost. <laughs> At least the music's there. Yeah. Yeah, but I, I wish we didn't have to stand up so much. I mean, after the fifth praise song and, you know, the third hymn, you'd think that maybe we could, I don't know, sit down for a while. <laughs> sit down for at least one of them. I didn't mind that so much. I hear what you're saying, though. I mean, yeah. 
<laughs> what did you think of the worship leaders? Yeah, they seem decent enough musicians. Yeah, but they, you know, they didn't seem to have much passion in, yeah, yeah, you know, when they, when they were playing the songs. You know, not like the last church, church we were at, where the vibe of the worship uh, leaders, I don't know, it just seemed really exciting. Yeah. You know, the so song choice was fine, and the execution was fine, but it didn't feel, I don't know, it just didn't feel worshipful to me. Hmm. Yeah. Me either. I, I did have a hard time getting into it. I don't know. What about when the worship was over? What do you mean? Well, the, I mean the sermon was okay. It was better than the better than the worship. Well, I think they were about the same um, quality-wise. Not too bad. I am really looking forward to going to that church though that we saw online the other day. Mm. I heard the preacher was really good. And they have great, exciting worship music. <laughs> hey, do you want to give Bob a call? See if he wants to meet us for lunch? Sure. We could go to that new place we saw. Here you go. Take that. Okay, here we go. That way, right? <laughs> exactly what is worship? Ask a random group of Christians coming out of church, and as you've seen, you'll get a whole variety of answers. For many Christians, worship refers to a gathering of the church in general, like the weekend worship service. For others, they talk about worship as being the musical portion of a church's gathering in particular, the singing. In theory, most of us understand that our worship of God involves much more than these elements of a Christian meeting. But by the way we talk and the things we do, we show that we think worship is more about the songs we love to sing rather than a whole way of living. The word worship derives from the idea of worth. It means to give worth or value to someone or something. In fact, the word worship simply refers to the ways we express who or what we find most valuable and satisfying. The Lord Jesus gets to the heart of what worship is in this famous encounter in the Gospel of Mark. And one of the scribes came up and heard them disputing with one another. And seeing that he answered them well, asked him, that is Jesus, which commandment is the most important of all? Jesus answered, the most important is, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul, and with all your mind, and with all your strength. The second is this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. Which is the most important commandment? One of the problems with the scribe's question is that it shows his desire to compartmentalize. He wants to know the most important commandment. In a way, he is suggesting that some of God's commandments are not as important. Jesus, of course, answers his question, but in a rather interesting way. Where the scribe is looking for just one command, just one thing to do, Jesus refers him back to the command to give our whole self to the whole of God, and then to give oneself to others. On the surface, this is actually two commands, but the whole thing essentially includes the whole law. The scribe asks, what is the most important command? Jesus replies, all of them. The first point to make is this. 
The Lord's response shows he is talking about a way of being, not simply a list of things to do or ways to behave. He says that love is the chief command, love that shows itself in a thousand different ways. But he also says this love must involve all of your heart, soul, mind. And in commanding this all-encompassing love, Jesus is not suggesting a new experience. He might be commanding a new recipient of our love, but he knows we are already behaving in worshipful ways as part of the course of our everyday lives. Maybe you don't think of worship as something you're already doing all the time. But the reality is that we worship, we give worth in any given moment to whatever our lives are centered on in that moment. So the question is not whether I am worshiping, but what am I worshiping now? Let me ask you a few questions that might help uncover this truth for you. When you are alone, what does your mind most often become preoccupied with? What do you tend to daydream most about? What do you worry most about? What thing or person or quality in your life, if taken away from you, would cause you the most despair? What animates you most, energizes you most, captivates you most, stirs and inspires and motivates you most? What, based on your daily life and the things you love to talk about, would other people say is the most important thing to you? Whatever answer is most common among that list of questions is what you worship. We are always worshiping someone or something. We say with our lives to our objects of worship, you are what satisfies me, you are what fulfills me, you are what is most valuable. And when the object of our worship is anyone or anything but God, it is idolatry. So tonight we're going to look at that issue. What is worship? And as we heard in the video, they give a, a very substantial and a good working definition of wor worship. They said it's to give worth or value to something. He also said that it's giving our, our whole self to the whole of God when he followed that up and continued it. And it's important for us to understand that, that in that definition, it's talking about ascribing worth to something that has value. And, and to give worth can actually be a little bit deceiving because in our worship of God, we're actually not giving him anything in, in the sense that uh, I can give you an object. We are only recognizing and ascribing a value to which God already has. We are recognizing the value of who God is, his character, and his nature. And worship expresses what we find most valuable or most satisfying in our lives. And I don't know about you, but the questions that he asked were a little convicting. When, when he was asking, what, is, what are those things that you think about the most? When you're quiet time, we need to be willing to evaluate ourselves when it comes to those kinds of questions. Because that is where our heart runs to in our quiet moments. 
Many of us are probably familiar with a quote from John Calvin that says the human heart is an idle factory. It's been picked up by a lot of different people. John Piper uh, talks a lot about it. But I really appreciate this quote from pastor and author Tim Keller in his book, Counterfeit Gods, where he says, The human heart is an idle factory that takes good things like a successful career, love, material possessions, even family, and turns them into ultimate things. Our hearts deify them as the center of our lives because we think they can give us significance and security, safety and fulfillment if we attain them. We make eternal things out of things that are not intended to be eternal. We take the blessings of God and worship the blessings that he's given us instead of worshiping the one who is the giver of those good gifts. God is the ultimate thing. And anything worshiping anything less than God is worshiping an idol. And so we want to be careful of that as a church. We want to be careful about, about ascribing to God, of recognizing God, the character and nature of God, and worshiping him for who he is. And so we want God's word to inform us how that should look. We want God's word to to inform us how, as a body of Christ, how can we recognize who God is and value him and exalt him and honor him for who he is. And so we're going to look together tonight at Psalm 96. So if you have your Bibles, open them with me to Psalm 96. I'm going to read through the entire passage. Um, and I would really encourage you to think about a couple different categories as we're reading through Psalm 96 together. As we're reading through Psalm 96, you'll see a, a, a couple different breakdowns that I want us to think about. One of the things that you will see repeatedly are, is who God is. In Psalm 96, God describes for us who he is in a lot of different ways and in a lot of different forms. And then he also, because of who he is, he describes how we should respond to him because of who he is. And then there's a third miscellaneous category uh, that I want us to think about that just kind of gives us some important aspects. There's some different phrases in there that I want us to, to meditate on together and to see exactly uh, how those apply to us as individuals and us as a church regarding our worship. So let's begin in verse 1 of Psalm 96. We'll read through the whole psalm together. Oh, sing to the Lord a new song. Sing to the Lord all the earth. Sing to the Lord, bless his name, tell of his salvation from day to day. Declare his glory among the nations, his marvelous works among the peoples. For great is the Lord and greatly to be praised. He is to be feared above all gods. For all the gods of the people are worthless idols, but the Lord made the heavens. Splendor and majesty are before him. Strength and beauty are in his sanctuary. Ascribe to the Lord, O families of the peoples. Ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord the glory due his name. Bring an offering and come into his courts. Worship the Lord in the splendor of his holiness. Tremble before him all the earth. Say among the the nations, the Lord reigns. Yes, the world is established. It shall never be moved. He will judge the peoples with equity. Let the heavens be glad and the earth rejoice. 
Let the sea roar in all that fills it. Let the field exult in everything in it. Then shall all the trees of the forest sing for joy before the Lord, for he comes, for he comes to judge the earth. He will judge the world in righteousness and the peoples in his faithfulness. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the book of Psalms. Thank you for this example of your people responding to who you are. Lord, you are worthy of our praise, and we desire to exalt you, to honor you, to sing to you, to ascribe value to you, to tremble before you, to declare to others about you. We, de- we desire to declare the truth of who you are. So we pray as a church you would always continue to teach us who you are so that we may do these things in a way that honors and pleases you. Teach us tonight more of your character, more of your nature, and how you desire us to worship you. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. And so we're going to look first at five aspects of worship that we find here in Psalm 96. And we're going to just kind of jump through a couple of these phrases first and foremost that kind of help us to see some important lessons about what worship should look like. And that starts in verse 1 where we see, sing to the Lord a new song. You see, true worship must be shaped and molded by the gospel. True worship requires an understanding of who God is and who he claims to be in his word. A right understanding of who God is must, it has to start with the gospel message in our lives. When we come to know Jesus Christ as our Savior, we become new creations, and he puts a new song in our hearts. You see, there's a lot of things that we as people may do before we come to know Christ as Savior, that aren't worship. But the exact same activity, when we have the Spirit of God living in us, dwelling in us, becomes worship. We know as a body that that church attendance does not save us. But when Christ comes in us, because of the power of the Holy Spirit... He puts a new song in our heart, and now our church attendance is, is, is coming to exalt and to honor him. It's a desire that we have to bow before the throne of our master, our maker, and our creator. And, and so it is now not something that we do out of religious obligation. It's something that we do out of love and adoration for our God. Singing songs. The world around us sings all sorts of songs. They even sing Christian songs. Especially at times like Easter and Christmas, and they will, they will sing Christmas carols and they'll sing certain songs uh, on religious occasions, and, and they sing words that should be used to exalt and honor God. But it's not truly worship, because in their hearts, they're doing it for all of the wrong reasons. And it's only when we have a new song in our hearts, it's only when we've put off the old self and put on the new self because of the power of the gospel living in us. That's the only time that those things are truly worship. And so you and I have to understand that much like the series that Pastor Tim spoke on uh, wisdom before Easter, leading into our Easter meditation, much like wisdom, Worship is only something that happens 
when a man or woman or child has given their life to Christ. Only when they have a relationship with God and have been cleansed from their sins because of what Christ has done on the cross of Calvary for them can they truly worship and honor God. Saying the words is not simply enough. And so that's an important lesson for all of us on worship. And the second thing I want us to point out is in verse 2 that, that we are to sing to the Lord and bless his name. This is a reminder for us that, that we're not just supposed to bless God however we feel. We're supposed to bless God for who he is. The names of God in the Old Testament tell us about his character and about his nature. They inform us about the way that he interacts with his people. They tell us about his love for us and how he is a, a saving God and, and how he's an all-powerful God. And they tell us of his majesty and they tell us all about his character and his nature. And you and I are called to bless his name for who he is. And quite frankly, in our world, sometimes who God is is confusing to them. They don't want anything to do with a just God because then they have to deal with their own sin. They don't want to have anything to do with a God who, who judges sin because they know that if they had to stand before that God, they would be lost. But we have to worship God for who he is. And that gives us an opportunity to tell those people not only about who God is, but what he's done for them by providing our atoning sacrifice in Christ Jesus. We bless God for who he is. We must worship him accurately. And to do that, we have to know who he is. You see, sometimes... Young believers, they, they'll, they'll get caught up in, in, in different ideas and, and different things that they think that they should be doing, but they lose sight of the fact that they need to first and foremost understand who God is and then respond to that God that we see in Scripture. We can't worship a God of our own making. We can't worship a God the way that we think he should act. We must worship him for how he has described himself in his living word. And we must apply that truth to our lives. A third important aspect that I want us to see in this passage of Scripture can be found in verse 4 and in verse 5. For great is the Lord, greatly to be praised, for he is to be feared above all gods. For all the gods of the peoples are worthless idols. I contemplated using a a little skit that I've seen a couple different times and I just thought, well, I'm not going to have time so I'll just quickly describe it for you. There's a man standing there and he's talking about these people that do all these weird chants and they, they begin to show pictures of tribal people and all of their tribal makeup and they have you know, their markings on their face and he talks about how they paint themselves and, and they... They're, they're, they're worshiping and they're, they're screaming at the top of their lungs about the object of their praise. And he goes on this long list of, of things and we see all these pictures of the tribal people and it kind of leads you to believe, oh, they're so lost. And then he takes the same script. But instead of pictures of tribal people, he has pictures of sporting events. And it talks about how they scream at the top of the lung, their lungs and they, they paint their faces and, and they're, they're cheering and chanting for those that they're worshiping. And it really makes you think 
just like those questions that Jared asked in that first video, we need to, as the body of Christ, step back and evaluate the importance of all these other good things in our lives. Obviously, you know me, I am a sports fan, and there's nothing wrong with being a sports fan or a music fan or whatever it is that, that is, is a passion for you in your life. But we have to make sure that we are keeping God above all the worthless gods that we see in this world around us. Money makes a terrible God to worship. If you make money your God, you will never have enough of it, and it will never satisfy. There is nothing in this world that can satisfy above the one true God. And so we, as God's people, need to be the first and the foremost at the forefront of communicating to the world around us the infinite value and worth of our God. Another phrase and another important aspect that I want to pull out of this psalm for us is found in verse 7, where it says, Ascribe to the Lord, O families of the peoples. I think that it's important for us to understand the intrinsic value that a right understanding of who God is and a right worship of God as the ultimate authority in our lives, how that is a blessing to us with our families and our peoples. One one aspect of worship that is a beautiful thing is that our children, from the time that they're little, when we are willing to gather together with God's people and worship, when, when they see us worshiping God in our daily lives outside of this church building, when they see a husband and wife praying together, when they see a desire in their parents to honor God, they will see that God is of greatest value in their parents' lives. And and we need to lead our families well. We need to help them to worship. And ultimately, the fifth thing that I want us to pull out here before we look at who God is and our response to him is found in verse 8 where it says, Ascribe to the Lord the glory due his name. We speak of this often. God is the only one worthy. His name is the only one that should be exalted and honored and glorified. His name is the only one that is worth praising. And so that leads us to, okay, if if these are some important factors, and then we're going to look and see about who God is and what he does, we need to understand then that who God is dictates our response to him. And so our next point this evening is God is and does. It's amazing when you read through this, just even a casual reading through uh, Psalm 96, there's a lot of active words and verbs in there that, that, that tell us about what the people were doing in the heart of the people. Look at verse 2. Verse, verse, verse 1 and 2 says, Sing to the Lord a new song, bless his name, tell of his salvation from day to day. God is our salvation. Again, first and foremost, at the beginning of this psalm is a reminder that God is the one 
who saves. And, and I covered that when we were talking about the new song that he puts in our heart. But it's important for us to know and to note that that is the forefront. That is the beginning of our praise to God. Our right understanding of who God is and, and what he does begins with us understanding that we are in need of God's salvation. And he is the one who provides his salvation from day to day. The second thing I want us to see that God is and does is that God does marvelous works in verse 3. Declare his, his glory among the nations for his marvelous works among the peoples. You see, God is a God who does marvelous works. And he doesn't just do it in our lives. The whole purpose of God working in and through us is that he wants himself to be known among all peoples. So, so sometimes when, when we see that God is and in, in, in the marvelous works that he does, sometimes it's, it's hard to not just step back and, and say, thank you, God, for, for blessing me with these marvelous works, with these wonderful deeds, with these things that you have done. But, but we need to always be mindful of the fact that, that when we see that God is doing marvelous works amongst us in our lives, he has an intent and purpose. And his intent and purpose is for his name to be feared by all people, for his name to be honored by all people, not just for us to give him worship, but for all language and peoples to exalt and honor him. The people of St. John should see First Baptist Church as a body of believers and want to know how to worship God the way that we do. And, and then as we continue to expand that circle out, all the nations on earth, all the people should want to know this God that we worship. And we see that that is who God is and what he does. And then in verse 4, we, we continue to learn about God that, that he is great and greatly to be praised. God is great. We praise God because he is great and greatly to be praised. It is amazing to me that, that God doesn't do anything poorly. I loved it when Pastor, Pastor Tim was talking the other the day, uh, uh, preaching to us the other Sunday, and he said, God knows everything about everything. And just to stop and think about that, he is great and greatly to be praised. And that is a, a reason for us to worship and to honor God. He is the only one that is great and greatly to be praised. And not only is he to be praised, but he's also to be feared, we see in verse 4. And sometimes we, we as Christians, I think, don't talk about the, the reverence and awe of God enough. I think, I think sometimes in our culture, we've, we've allowed this, uh, this, this false idea to creep in that, that like Jesus is like our best friend and, uh, and, and that we're almost peers on the same level. While, while Jesus is the friend that sticks closer the, than a brother and, and, and we have this relationship with the creator God of the universe for which we should be thankful, we need to always approach him with, with awe and reverence. And we need to be thankful that we can approach his thro throne of grace with confidence. But we need to understand that he is a majestic God that is worthy of praise, but also is to be reverently feared in our lives. Verse 5 continues on in it, and it tells us that God is the creator God who made the heavens and the earth. And in verse 10, we see that he established the world. God is a creator God. 
And when we look at the world around us, we should be reminded of just how amazing our God is. We, we like to talk about uh, Romans chapter 1, verses 18 through 20, how, how, how even just looking at the world around us should remind the world that there is a creator God. But sometimes I think that we as Christians forget that when we look at this world around us, it should cause, cause us to fall down and worship in awestruck wonder at the majestic creation that God has made. He is the one who made the heavens and the earth and established the world. And that's a reason for us to worship him. And in verse 6, we see that, that he is splendid. He is majestic. He is full of strength and beauty. Again, in, our, in, a, in a culture like, a church culture like ours, sometimes we don't recognize the beauty of things the way that we should. I don't think that we need to go to the extremes of, of creating icons for, for us to falsely worship and those kinds of things. But there is something beautiful about the fact that we serve a creative God who makes in us the ability to create as well. We must realize that God is majestic, full of strength and beauty. And then in verse 9, we read that, that we should worship the Lord in the splendor of his holiness. There is no shadow of sin or fault or wrongdoing in our God. He has nothing to do with the deeds of darkness. And because of that, we can't either. And in verse 10, we see that he reigns and is equitable. Say among the nations, the Lord reigns. Yes, the Lord, the world is established. It, is, it shall never be moved. He will judge the peoples with equity. Our God is a fair and just God. Psalm 96 teaches us so much about who God is. And then, and then it goes through and tells us in those same passages how we must respond. Our response to who God is and what he does is so vitally important. That's what real worship is. Our response to who God is and what he does. So first, I want us to see that several times we read in Psalm 96, we see it in verse 1, 2, 3, 4, that, that we are to sing to who God is. While worship is not exclusively singing, there are countless times in Scripture where, where our worship does involve singing. And, and we see that, that, that because of knowing God and knowing his character and nature, that we should just want to exuberantly tell people around us what he is like. Verses 2 and 10 tell us that, that that we need to tell and to say who God is. So we sing about who God is. We tell people about who God is. We say who God is. This is our chance to testify about God and who he is and all that he has done. That's an important part of our worship. It's, it, God doesn't tell us who he is just so we can keep it to ourselves. We must tell others about it. In verses 3 and in verse 7 and in verse 8, we see that we're to declare and to ascribe to God the honor that is due his name. We must declare to others and ascribe the honor that is due to God. 
You see, there are some things that, that it's, it's not just me telling what I've learned about God. It's just a declarative statement. I'm ascribing to God what he is, and I'm recognizing him for who he is. And, and whether someone believes it when we say it or not, it doesn't change the character and the nature of God. And that's why we worship him. We worship him because he doesn't change. And our response is to declare who God is. And then continuing on, we, we read that another response that we should have to who God is, is that, that in verse 8 we, we see that we should bring an offering and come into his courts. God desires us to take of the gifts that he has given us and to give back to him. We need to bring an offering to God. We need to come into his courts and, and to bring to him part of what he has given us. You see, what that helps us to do and to understand in our lives is that helps us to not worship the gift itself that helps us to keep our eyes on the giver of that good gift, God himself. You see, money and time and service, everything that he has given us can be offered back to him in our worship. So we must bring an offering to our king. And then we also see that part of our worship, part of our response is to worship the Lord in the splendor of his holiness. And then when we see the holiness of God, I think it has a very natural response for us as well, that we must tremble before him. That's that awestruck wonder I talked about earlier. We bow down before the power and the majesty of who God is. This is who God is. This is how he calls us to respond to him. And in verses 11 through 13, we're reminded that if we're not going to do these things, creation itself will worship the Lord. We read that the heavens and the earth are glad and rejoice. We should then worship the, the Lord with gladness and rejoicing. We, we hear that the sea roars to exalt God. We need to be bold. And we see that the fields exalts in our God. You see, God is worthy of praise and adoration. And if we're not going to do it, even the rocks will cry out. And even the trees will sing for joy. You see, worshiping God should be our joy and privilege because of who God is, because he's declared to us in his word and made himself known to us. What a privilege that is. And, and so we have the joy and privilege of worshiping our God. And it's so much more than what takes place here in this building. But it's not less than what takes place here in this building. You see, when we gather together, we come together as the people of God and we worship him and we exalt him and we, and we encourage one another about the goodness of who God is. We encourage one another that he is worthy. We encourage one another that he is our salvation, that he is to be feared, that he is to be praised, that splendor and majesty and strength and beauty and glory and honor and strength and the splendor of his holiness and that he is the just judge who will come again to judge all. We, we encourage one another with those truths. 
so that when we leave this building, we can go out and continue to worship God the way that he desires to be worshiped. Every believer must live their lives. Every believer must live daily. Every believer has to decide in their hearts every day when they wake up that they will live their life in light of the gospel. That is how we worship. We see God for who he is, and then we live the goodness of God out in the world around us. We have the joy of gathering with other believers to be encouraged so that we can go out and that the people around us will say how amazing, how majestic is our God. Our God is worthy. We need to worship him as he deserves, and we need to allow God's word to dictate and to govern and to guide and to direct us what that should look like. So my hope is that through this series, as, as the other men will come and they'll teach, that we will we'll learn that, that worship is much more than just singing God's praises. It's much more than, than just praying together here. It's much more than just studying God's word together here. But it's never less than that. The way that we worship here will lead us to exalt and honor God in our daily lives as we worship him with our families. Let's pray. Father, thank you. Thank you for who you are. And I just pray, Lord, that you would use this series to inform us about worship. Help us to learn to be a gospel-saturated people. Help us to be a people that, that desires to honor you the way that you deserve. Help us to be a people that declares your name among St. John's and among the nations, for truly, 